So, I have a confession. I'd like to confess what I consider to be the hardest part about preaching. It's not the weight of bearing truth every Sunday. I can handle that. It's not the necessity of creativity. I enjoy that. It's not the fact that sometimes you're called upon to preach something that you don't fully understand. I'm comfortable with that. It's an inevitable aspect of preaching uh, and a potentially enjoyable one, but a challenge nonetheless. It reveals itself with regularity, and I'm forced to confront it annually. The hardest part about preaching to me is finding a unique way to present the Advent sermons. It's, it's hard to do it every year in a new and creative way. The Easter story is similar, but you could take the crucifixion, crucifixion and resurrection in a thousand different directions. And basically, every sermon you ever preach is in light of the crucifixion and resurrection anyway. So it's not as big a problem there, but Christmas is different. There's, there's only so many ways you can freshly present the importance of Jesus' birth. We've explored Advent through the lens of Isaiah 9 before through the lens of, a, of the different names assigned to Jesus at birth, through the lens of lesser-known characters in the story like Anna and Simeon and Herod, through the lens of symbolism behind iconic Christmas elements, candy canes and wreaths and Christmas trees. I don't know if you remember any of those. I barely remember. <laughs> I barely remember them, and I preach them. But it's hard to present the supreme hope and joy and peace and love of the Advent season in a new way that has depth and power and freshness. It's, a, it's tricky. Of course, All of this is preamble to help you understand that I recognize the fact that this year's Advent miniseries is a bit of a stretch, okay? I just want to get that out here. I don't know if it'll work or not. Part, Part of the wonder of Christmas is that expectations for the arrival of the Messiah were sky high, and then when he actually came in a barn to some peasants in the middle of nowhere, it was underwhelming. And those expectations were not met. Now we, in... In hindsight, we look back at that and say, no, that's actually perfect. Like that's, It's perfect that that's how he came. But at the time, it was really underwhelming. So I guess what I'm doing is the opposite thing. I'm keeping your expectations very low uh, so that you might be surprised by the series and connect in a fresh way. Who knows? All I know is this. For the next four weeks of Sundays in December, we'll be doing three things simultaneously. One, reviewing the book of Acts up to where we find ourselves in chapter 11. Number two, tying them to the Advent messages of hope, joy, peace, and love. This week is hope. Number three, watching clips from classic Christmas movies. So when I explained this to Angie, uh, she was confused and doubtful. That's fair. I, I had already at that point planned it though, so I just went ahead with it. So onwards we go. So this is Advent, as told through Acts, as told through the Christmas movies you know and love. It's a stretch, but at least we'll get to watch some movie clips together. So when I was a kid, I had this recurring fantasy about burglars coming into my home and me being the one who saved everyone. Um, or at least I'd, I would escape through the laundry room, through the root cellar, and out the secret exit in our house. And I, I used to lay in bed and, and theorize these situations where, oh, I would hear them coming through this door, and I would know how to get out, and I would wake up my brothers on the way, and we'd all get out. Sometimes this fantasy devolved into a panic attack, like a full-fledged, I would never get out, we're all going to die. Um, and that wasn't so fun, but usually I had these fantasies of being this really crafty, really sneaky, really smart little force to be reckoned with, and I'd defeat the burglars, in my imagination at least. In actual fact, I was this 90-pound wimpy kid un- <laughs> under some blankets, uh, had no, no hope of saving anyone, but because of all this, there was one Christmas movie that really connected with me as a kid more than any other. A young boy's forced to defend his home from burglars, because his family has accidentally abandoned him. He must defend his home, because he is alone, 
And any guesses what the movie might be? No guesses? Just kidding. It's Home Alone. Home Alone was hilarious with slapstick comedy and rude humor and a smart-alecky protagonist, basically everything that an eight-year-old Chris Lance loved in cinema. That's, those are the three things that made me like a movie back then. Um, of course, we watched it with our eight-year-old, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, and realized that maybe I shouldn't have watched it as an eight-year-old because we turned it off about halfway through. There's a little bit more swearing than I remember. So take this with a grain of salt. I'm not recommending you need to go and watch this movie if you've never seen it. But I loved this movie growing up, so I'm going to talk about it today. The reason Home Alone, both one and two, were classics isn't just because they're hilarious. They're also filled with a lot of heart. By the way, anybody... Are people are people familiar with this movie? Just gauge some. Yep, more or less. There are real emotional gut punch movie moments in these movies, and real growth by the characters, and and that's what makes them endure. In particular, there's a theme running through the movies about the dysfunction of families, right? Um, how deeply they love each other despite their flaws, and how they come to appreciate one another. The youngest brother is forced to sleep beside the cousin that wets the bed. There's Fuller drinking too much Pepsi, and if you've seen the movie, you know he always pees the bed. The oldest brother torments the younger siblings, and the parents are too busy panicking about missing their flight to Paris that they don't even notice they've forgotten a child until they're halfway over the Atlantic Ocean. Families are not perfect. The heart of Home Alone, however, isn't found in the young boy who sets traps for two, uh, to frustrate two bumbling robbers. That's not the heart of the story. That's the funny part of the story. Um, makes for some interesting plot and some frantic comedy. But that's not the heart of Home Alone. Um, the heart of Home Alone is how those struggles make that young boy learn to appreciate his family, even as his family learns to appreciate him in all his mouthy, sarcastic, troublemaking glory. That's the heart of the movie. They, they come to appreciate one another. So what we're going to do now so we're going to watch a little five-minute clip from the movie. But first, a little background info. Kevin, the young protagonist of the film, must conquer his fears in order to confront the burglars that are seeking to torment him. But he has a much greater fear than even the immediate threat of being kidnapped or robbed. And that is his neighbor, Old Man Marley. Old Man Marley is the victim of those rumors that kids seem to, to generate about anyone they don't understand. Because Old Man Marley is old, and living by himself in a big house, the rumor is that he killed his whole family. So that's the rumor, just setting the stage uh, for what you're going to see here. And so Kevin is very afraid of this man. Um, in this scene, Kevin must face his greatest fear, the freaky old man next door, which you will see in his reaction at the start of the clip. He's very afraid. Merry Christmas. Yes, it does. That's my granddaughter up there. The little red-haired girl. She's about your age. You know her? No. You live next to me, don't you? Yeah. You can say hello when you see me. You don't have to be afraid. There's a lot of things going around about me, but none of it's true. Okay? Been a good boy this year? I think so. You swear to it? No. 
Yeah, I had a feeling. Well, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. It is? I think so. Are you feeling bad about yourself? No. I'm in kind of a pain lately. I said some things I shouldn't have. I really haven't been too good this year. Yeah. I'm kind of upset about it because I really like my family. Even though sometimes I say I don't. Sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? I think so. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Especially with an older brother. Deep down, you always love them. But you can forget that you love them. And you can hurt them and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. You want to know the real reason why I'm here right now? Sure. I came to hear my granddaughter sing. And I can't come and hear her tonight. You have plans? No. I'm not welcome. At church? Oh, you're always welcome at church. I'm not welcome with my son. Years back, before you and your family moved on the block, I had an argument with my son. How old is he? Well, he's grown up. We lost our tempers. And I said I didn't care to see him anymore. He said the same. And we haven't spoken to each other since. If you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call him, he won't talk to me. How do you know? I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't. No offense, but aren't you a little old to be afraid? You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. That's true. I've always been afraid of our basement. It's dark, there's weird stuff down there, and it smells funny, that sort of thing. It's bothered me for years. The basements are like that. Then I made myself go down there to do some laundry, and I found out it's not so bad. All this time I've been worrying about it, but if you turn on the lights, it's no big deal. What's your point? My point is you should call your son. What if he won't talk to me? At least you'll know. Then you can stop worrying about it, and you won't have to be afraid anymore. I don't care how mad I was, I talked to my dad, especially around the holidays. So give it a shot, for your granddaughter anyway. I'm sure she misses you, and the presents. You better run along home where you belong. You think about what I said, all right? Okay. What about you? Me? Yeah, you and your son. We'll see what happens. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So it's a nice little scene, right? Um, that's obviously the old man at the end of the movie does phone his son and does get reunited. Uh, so with the surprise introduction of a new character in the movie, a character who had previously been separated from the hero by fear and misunderstanding, and that's old man Marley, uh, comes a revelation about the nature of family. And the result of this meeting is reconciliation. Reconciliation between the, the powerful stranger and the little boy who feared him, and reconciliation between families who had grown apart by pride and ignorance. Now that may sound a little bit familiar to those of us who've been studying Acts. 
After Jesus returned to heaven in Acts 1, the disciples are in a state of confusion. They're newly separated from their master and are left staring up at the sky, unsure of what to do next. They choose a replacement apostle for Judas, and then they wait. They were eager and certainly a little unsure of what to expect. Jesus had promised, however, that a comforter would come, uh, a holy presence that would bring peace to them. But they were wondering, I'm sure, why couldn't it just be Jesus himself? Why couldn't Jesus just stick around with us? Who was this holy comforter? And how would they know when he arrives? And then Acts 2 shows up, and the peace-bringing holy comforter does show up, and when he does, it's unmistakable. They know it's him for sure. The Holy Spirit arrives with wind and fire and this miraculous proclamation of God's glory in tongues that had never before been spoken by those who were uttering them. To the crowds who witnessed this astounding arrival, it has a similar effect as the arrival of the old man does to Kevin McAllister. Shock and amazement. At the start of the clip, he looks up and there's old man Marley and his jaw drops. And that's very similar to how the crowds reacted when the Holy Spirit showed up. Jaws were hanging open in disbelief. See, God had once been very distant from humanity, despite his best efforts. His people would wrestle with him, and they would fear him, and ultimately they would misunderstand him, just as Kevin feared and misunderstood his older neighbor. But all of that has now changed. The arrival of the Holy Spirit is very much like the arrival that we celebrate during Advent, the arrival of Jesus Christ. No longer are we distant from God. At Christmas, God came down to us. He bridged that distance by coming to us. But the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit arrived, takes that a step further. God didn't just want to come live with us, as he did when Jesus came. He actually came down to live inside of us. Not just among us, but in us, with the Holy Spirit. We are no longer apart from him. We are a part of him through the Holy Spirit. No wonder Jesus said, this is John 16, 7, it's for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Well, how is that possible that it's better for Jesus to be away? That, I'm sure, didn't make any sense whatsoever to the disciples. But it makes sense in light of Acts 2. It is better for Jesus to go away because now Jesus isn't one person in one location. Now he is in every person, in every location, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is better that he goes away so that he could send the comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the the presence of peace to us. Jesus' time on earth is the biggest change in the history of humankind since the fall, Genesis 3. The story of the fall is the story of humanity separating from God. And the arrival of of Jesus is God humbly taking on flesh to draw humanity back to himself. Those are the two cataclysmic changes that happen in human history. But the arrival of the Holy Spirit is something even beyond the arrival of Jesus. It's The arrival of the Holy Spirit is the signing of the adoption papers for us into the family of God. He's the wedding ring that seals the covenant between us and our creator. He's the guiding light within us that draws us to worship and sacrifice. He's the unexpected stranger that we were afraid of or ignorant of, but who completely transforms us by his comfort and his peace and his guidance. The Holy Spirit is like old man Marley, who strips away our fear and replaces it with hope. A hope that was born in a dirty manger. A hope that healed the blind and multiplied sustenance and confronted evil face to face. A hope that was crushed and crucified before rising to conquer those two great burglars of humanity's relationship with our creator, sin and death. So that is what connects A, Home Alone, 
to be the birth of Jesus and see the arrival of the Holy Spirit. What connects them is hope. The theme of week one is Advent, a hope that's rooted in a word that I've already mentioned a couple times, and that is the hope of reconciliation. That is the connecting thread between these three things, the hope of reconciliation. Families being reintroduced and renewed, the laying down of pride and ignorance to embrace the transcendent love of our Father. That's the connecting theme. In Home Alone, it's Kevin being reconciled with his slightly negligent family. Can you imagine flying to Paris and halfway through the flight forgetting you have another son? (laughs) But it's even more beautifully portrayed in the clip that we watched with old man Marley as he lays down a decade of stubborn fear in order to be reconciled with his estranged son. The birth of Jesus and the arrival of the Holy Spirit are like that scene, but in reverse. It's the reverse of the equation. The the arrival of, of Jesus and the arrival of the Holy Spirit are the story of a father demonstrating shocking, unexpected, extreme love in order to reconcile his sons and daughters to himself. His sons and daughter who continue to estrange themselves from him, and that's us. So it's the reverse. It's a stubbornness, it's, old man Marley was a stubbornness of fear and, and, and ignorance and, and selfishness. But in God, there's that stubbornness magnified times a thousand, but not in fear and ignorance. It's a stubbornness of care and love and compassion, not fear, not, not distance. He is so stubborn about his love for us that he sent his only son to us to become like us to call us back to him. Advent, so that's, that's reconciliation at home alone. Advent is the hope of reconciliation which could only happen by Jesus coming right down into the dirt with us, shaking our shoulders, meeting our eyes, and taking us by the hand to lead us back to his Father, patiently but powerfully. The arrival of Jesus demonstrates God's urgent desire for us to be reconciled to him. And then there's Acts 2. In Acts 2, after the crowds are shocked by the arrival of the Holy Spirit, they demand an explanation from Peter. Well, they demand an explanation, and it's, of course, Peter who steps up to give it because it's always Peter. And so Peter gives this impassioned speech, which begins by quoting the prophet Joel, where he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 2.21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's the start of the speech. Peter's speech ends by instructing all those who wish to respond to the hope of the risen Messiah. Peter says to do these things. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so that is reconciliation in Acts 2. The the way we are reconciled back to our Father is repentance, baptism, and forgiveness. Those are things we can do to bring about that reconciliation. But the important thing about Peter's speech is what he makes clear right then when the Holy Spirit comes and then the rest of Acts is sort of the unwinding and and unraveling of this truth. And that's the fact that it's for all who are gutsy enough to take the step to follow him. For all. For when Peter gave this speech, that meant for all the Jews who were willing to listen. And then through Stephen, through Philip, through Paul, and through Peter again as it comes full circle, now that's open to literally all. Literally anyone. Everyone. The Gentiles even. And so the message in, in this last sentence, I'll read it again. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That last sentence, that's all about the theme of home alone. That's all about families being dysfunctional and messy 
Even Jesus' family included a stepfather and a bunch of brothers who didn't really believe him at first. Even Jesus' earthly family was a little bit messy, right? All families have, have a little bit of that in it. But the hope of reconciliation is for you and your children and, and all who are far away, is what he says, all who are far off. In other words, the distant cousins and the black sheep and the weird uncles that nobody ever really talks to. Any part of the family, no matter how distant or how close, is welcome into the family of God. Everyone in the broken family of humankind is welcome to come and adore him who was born the king of angels. This was made clear in Bethlehem. This was made clear on the day of Pentecost. And this was made clear when old man Marley sat behind, beside a scared little boy in a fictional church in Chicago and discussed fear and love and reconciliation. That reconciliation, that is the hope of the first week of Advent. That is what our hope is all about in the Christmas season. That is the hope of Advent. That is the hope of Acts 2, that we can be reconciled back to our Father. And that is the hope of home alone. That is our message for week one. And I'll leave you with the timeless words of Kevin McAllister. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. (laughs) So that's week one. Uh, Week two, as I mentioned, we're switching up. It's supposed to be peace. (laughs) Sorry if... uh, if anybody, that's a quote from the movie, in case you didn't catch that. Yeah, I don't actually consider you filthy. Um, as I mentioned, we're switching peace and joy. Next week will be about joy, and uh, I'll leave you guessing about what the movie will be for next week. 